0: Hello and welcome! You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes
1: wrong. Join us on our magical journey through a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. Alright, my turn. What do you got for me today? Alright, I got a fun one for you today, but um, before I get into what I'll be covering, it's just like the most random thing. So... Over the mm-hmm. weekend um I was just like cleaning out my room doing some just whatever just organizing stuff right. and I found like a pile of old journals that I have um like filled out over the years. Ah, I see. Yeah, and so basically I found this thing called like it's a prayer journal. So like I'm <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I've told you like um I used to go to like a private Christian school and we had Bible oh, class. Yeah.
0: Right, right
1: um, So one of the things we had was these things called prayer journals Where, like, we had to have, like, a certain number of entries um, Like, one a day kind of thing
0: Right, right Like a, a daily journal, but for prayer
1: Yeah, exactly So I found one of the entries that was so relevant to today's topic That I was like, I have to start the show like this it's Like, fascinating
0: <laughs> I, I cannot wait to
1: see where this goes so so here it goes. Let me just read it. Okay. Right. Dear God, there is so much pain and suffering and anger in the world. People are dying left and right. People are fighting each other constantly. Nobody can agree on anything. Sometimes it seems like there's no hope at all. So I just have this one request, God. If nothing else, could you please grant me this? I pray with all my heart and mind and soul that someday, somehow, somebody creates a Broadway musical loosely based on the 2002 Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, but with a weird (laughs) subplot involving Greek mythology. (coughs) Wow, you you wrote that. (laughs) And please, God, if there could somehow be a way to get fucking Bono involved and maybe YouTube guitarist The Edge as well to write an incredibly (laughs) shitty and generic score that sounds like a string of rejected B-sides off of How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. And, (sighs) And final request... Can you make sure that the actors and the stunt performers' lives are in constant danger during every aspect of the production, and that the stunt design (laughs) is so insane and inappropriate for a theater production that there is literally no way for there not to be frequent accidents? I know it's a lot, but it's all I want. If you could answer this prayer, God, I would be eternally grateful. Uh, uh, Amen. Wow. So so you wrote that, huh? Yeah, that's a... (laughs) that's what i wrote in fifth grade (laughs) Yes, your one desire for god and who you know like amazingly three years later god answered my prayer and so for today's episode we will be talking about (laughs) spider-man turn off the dark
0: Oh, wonderful. Now this this is something I I've I know a little bit about. I don't I remember watching like a YouTube video about it, but it was only like 10 minutes long. Yeah. But I I've, I only know the surface like the the sort of surface level about this, but I know for a fact that there is like a lot more to this.
1: Yeah, so I just remember hearing constant like news reports when this thing was like in pre-production and production of the the performers getting injured, and the delays and the the you know how insane the budget was, and they kept you know changing the release like the the day that they would you know perform it to the public, and they kept pushing it and pushing it, and so. I had totally forgotten about all this until, you know, like, I had to come up with a topic for the, the podcast for the week, right. and I was just like, you know, like, this sounds perfect, and the more I researched, the more I realized it is
0: I it's, it's like, whenever it was mentioned in the news, it was never good
1: no, like, it became like a, like it was like the thing that, like, late, late night uh, talk show hosts would just get endless fodder for for a few years Right, exactly. Like, the, you don't even you don't even have to really make a joke. You just had to be like, hey, about, how about that Spider-Man production? Right. It's like the existence of this production was itself a joke. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is a musical based on the character Spider-Man with music and lyrics by Bono and The Edge and a book by <laughs> Julie Taymor, Glenn Berger, and Roberto Aguirre-Sasaka. Although often described as a rock musical, the production, quote, treads new ground that some commentators have asserted, quote, have effectively distanced it from its peers and caused some confusion when it comes time to describe the show. The Edge. I see. <laughs> we're going to hear from The Edge now. Uh, Excellent stated that he is unsure of what description to use for the production because quote, it is elements of rock and roll it's elements of circus, it's elements of opera and musical theater
0: yeah man it's like
1: a it's like a clown rock opera for clowns <laughs> which just sounds it's totally so, radical bro <laughs> sounds just so appealing um, uh, Spider-Man's there <laughs> Spider-Man's there man <laughs> Clowns and Spider Man, Spider Man, and rock and roll, and Opera Man. (laughs) Uh, Bono admitting that his description is quote a little pretentious. Bono is admitting that his description is a little pretentious.
0: All right. So how exactly did Bono describe this? Has referred to it
1: as a quote pop up pop art opera, noting that director Julie Taymor is calling it a quote rock and roll circus drama. He also described the production as wrestling with the same stuff as Rilke, Blake, Wings of, Desi- Ring- Wings of Desire, Roy Lichtenstein, and the Ramones. What? <laughs> he compares. He mentions William Blake, Roy Lichtenstein, and the Ramones. And I... describing the Spider-Man musical.
0: Isn't Roy Lichtenstein like? Roy Lichtenstein is like the pop art guy. He's the. He's the the comic art guy.
1: Yeah. Right. So basically, yeah. Bono is saying, like, you know, all the cool things in life. This has all of them, man.
0: This has all of those. And was the beginning of the quote a disparaging comment towards the like the actual director?
1: No, i, I he. I mean, he's very positive about the director, but he still calls it a rock and roll circus drama. <laughs> I see. <laughs> like I he's see. calling it a circus. I I found no evidence of it being anything like a circus. <laughs> right. And keep in mind, this is coming from the man who buys a seat on an airplane for his hat. Like, this is one of the the douchiest men on earth. Yeah, no,
0: Bono's a terrible human being.
1: (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) and believe me, I I will be making fun of Bono and The Edge heavily throughout this episode. Oh, no, from the moment you mentioned Bono, I was like, okay, this is going
0: to be a good episode.
1: Yeah. Um,. A 60 Minutes CBS special stated that Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark is being called a, quote, comic book rock opera circus, although in that segment, Bono noted that even using rock to describe the music is too narrow a description, bequ- because, <laughs> quote, we've moved out of the rock and roll idiom in places into some very new territory for us, including big show tunes and dance songs, which is a complete lie because I listen to most of the songs in preparation for this episode, it's literally like, it could be off of any U2 album. They're not doing anything new. It's like, it's literally like U2, but like, less interesting.
0: Well, and he said, it's like, we're in, we're heading into new territory, beyond rock, into things like <laughs> show tunes, like, and jazz you know things that exist already
1: yeah you know new territory right and things that rock already incorporates into rock like this isn't new territory even for rock music
0: (laughs) we're venturing into new territory that's already foundational to the invention of rock and roll itself yeah
1: we're gonna start going crazy like incorporating blues elements into rock and jazz (laughs) it's like you know where rock and roll comes from man like (laughs) right anyway uh, the production was described early on as, quote, the most technically complex show ever on Broadway, with 27 aerial sequences of characters flying and engaging in aerial combat. And this is not an exaggeration. I watched a lot of footage of this production. It is insane. It can only be described as chucking the stunt performers into the crowd on wires. It is, it is like more insane than Cirque du Soleil.
0: That's like it's genuine it is genuinely impressive that they even tried honestly
1: Exactly but keep in mind like cirque du soleil it's usually done in these big like domes like you know like Madison right. Square Garden kind of places like it's not meant for Broadway theaters
0: Well and it's it's done by trained circus performers Exactly you know, it's like every single person in cirque du soleil has trained their entire life to be in Cirque du Soleil, like they were born into that shit.
1: Yeah, and they work as a company. Like they they trust each other with their lives and stuff. Like this isn't like an assembled team of stunt performers for one musical.
0: This is this is literally all they do ever.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, The production also includes a, quote, multitude of moving set pieces that put the audience in the middle of the action and enough projections onto giant screens that Bono has said that it is like a three-dimensional graphic novel. So they're really going for the, like, you're inside the comic book kind of vibe.
0: Random seats in the audience are loaded with slingshots that catapult audience (laughs) members into
1: the air. I mean, that honestly would not be any less safe than what they're already doing. (laughs) I'm sure um the original story treated the origins of spider-man similarly to the story of the 2002 film but wove in an involved story about a villain based on the mythological arachne a quote Oh,
0: like the the lady that was turned into a spider
1: yeah like she she challenged minerva to like a weaving competition i believe and she was too good and minerva was or athena i guess you would call it in greek tradition Uh, was so mad how how perfect her tapestry was that she turned her into a spider no no no. she she mocked she mocked her and then she hung herself and then she was turned into a spider afterwards i
0: i I believe the story was is that it's like it was like minerva never even took up the challenge it was like how dare you even challenge me to this i'm a literal god you dumbass and then just turned her into a spider so she could weave for the rest of her life right and so just going into this, it is a story about divine hubris. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. It is a, this. The story of Arachne is the story of a woman who thought that she could challenge the gods and win.
1: Yeah, and I don't. I mean, maybe you feel otherwise, but like I don't really think that like relates to Spider-Man at all, other than the fact that it's a spider. Do they? Do they talk about?
0: I mean, does the production ever talk about why they decided to incorporate? arachne and greek myth into the production
1: it honestly like it just seems like it's kind of like a pretentious sub like they have all these like little interludes in the musical like telling the story of arachne and like kind of weaving it but like for me like it never feels like it's kind of like appropriate like i don't know like spider spider-man's like a story of like a kid who got bitten by a spider and, i remember I,
0: don't I remember seeing something about like the production like somebody was talking about how it's like oh superheroes are our, our modern greek heroes and they're like trying to tie all that back into like like achilles and shit yeah and so they're like oh well this makes sense for the story we'll incorporate this about like you know we'll incorporate some like weird greek myth thing for peter parker
1: Yeah, where it's just, it always kind of like, it straddles the line between really ambitious and just kind of pretentious, like... It it doesn't,
0: like, no matter what the original impetus was, it did not work.
1: Yeah. It was bad. Right, I mean, like, I'll get it, I'll I'll get into it later, but, like, the reception of this musical was not good. Like, obviously they did not weave in the story in a way that was interesting or, like, added anything to the Spider-Man story, um, they further tried to kind of play up the, the Greek theme by having a, quote, geek chorus of four teenagers narrating the story.
0: I get it. <laughs> yeah. That is actually kind of clever.
1: But um, as the production went on, I think the geek chorus was taken out and would never made it to the final version. Oh. So <laughs> it's not even like... <laughs> so in the rewritten version of the musical, the plot hews closer to the comic book and film and transforms... The role of Arachne into a, quote, kindred spirit in Spider-Man's dreams. So it seems like even the very, like, ambitious weaving of, like, Greek mythology was kind of, like, watered down to, like, make it just more like, you know, like, the Spider-Man story.
0: Right. I I can tell that it's our—I can already tell it's going to be one of those episodes because it was, like, the moment— I saw something clever and cool. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat that they incorporated yeah. that. you literally the next sentence you said was they then removed it immediately. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, this is too oh, good. It's going to be going to be one of those episodes, huh? <laughs> all
1: right. So according to the New York post, Bono began composing Spider-Man after Andrew Lloyd Webber joked, uh, quote, I'd like to thank rock musicians for leaving me alone for 25 years. I've had the theater all to myself, uh, Bono and director, Julie Taymor, Quote, decided to give Andrew a little competition
0: uh, right so it's, it's like I'd like to thank rock musicians for leaving me Andrew Lloyd Webber one of the most accomplished stage musicians of all time yeah. alone and then Bono's like I bet I can give this guy a run for his yeah, money yeah
1: exactly Bono whose songs are like one chord and the I edge bet that I, I bet that I could stand toe to toe with Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah I mean, this like, won't embarrass me at all. Just like I don't want to get like too into the U two hate because like, like I no, do fuck you two. Like <laughs> I do like a lot of U two's stuff. Like I'm not going to say yeah, I'm a I'm a complete hater, um, but like in terms of like writing songs for a stage musical it is so like it's just not their territory because like their music is literally like four chords and like the edge basically like he has like a sustain and a repeat pedal and he plays like one chord every 30 seconds and it just goes like well it's (laughs) like like stay it's
0: if you're writing for a stage musical you're usually like usually the vocal melody and the the actual musical melody are the same Right. Mm -hmm. Like the all stage music, like all all musical tracks are melodic, they're lyrical. Yes. Right. They're they're complex. They they don't have backing tracks a lot of the time. It's just somebody wailing on a piano. Yeah. But And U2's music is the exact opposite of that. It's like this it's this it's this very bloodless poppy prog rock mix.
1: Exactly, it's Same. just, and it, it shows. Like it, like I listened to most of the soundtrack. It just doesn't work. Like it, like I, like I said, it just feels like a U two album. Like trying to be like even more grandiose, and that's like right. already like hard to do. Right. Um, so in August two thousand two, Marvel announced that Irish producer Tony Adams would begin working on a stage musical based on the Spider Man comics. Adams approached Bono and The Edge to be involved with the project. Um, in turn, they enlisted Julie Taymor, who had directed the original run of *The Lion King* on Broadway, to direct.
0: Right, like she's she's like famous and incredibly respected.
1: Yeah, like she's one she's of like, one of the most successful theater directors of all time. Right, she's she's like the Michael Jordan of theater directors. Exactly. Like I, I mean, I, I feel like *The Lion King* is the most successful musical of all time. I feel like I heard I that. I think it is. I, I think could it be, literally I could is. be wrong.
0: Here, I keep talking. I will Google it right now.
1: Yeah. So unfortunately in october 2005 producer tony adams suffered a stroke while the creative team was assembled to sign contracts and he died two days later so the the person who kind of like served as like the the originator of this idea and the one who got you two involved in the first place died and was never really involved with the final product
0: i see so now they've got a now they've got a rookie in the driver's seat right
1: Yeah, exactly. So um, Patrick Healy in the New York Times described their situation in this quote. Others might have abandoned the project, but the Spider-Man team decided to go on with Mr. Adams' partner, David Garfinkel, as lead producer. So a man who was his partner, who was going to be kind of like assisting Adams in the um, production in a supporting role, became like the lead producer.
0: I see. So, like, the apprentice got put in the the, the master's position.
1: Yes, um, though he wasn't an, an able uh, entertainment lawyer, so that was his background. He was a lawyer, not a producer. He had very little production experience, so he ceded most artistic decisions to Julie Taymor, a perfectionist whose aesthetic never, who whose aesthetic included never repeating herself.
0: Yeah, it's like you've you've already fucked up there. If you know anything about theater productions, you don't give creative control to the production manager. Yeah, Like you don't give creative control to the actual director. They're directors are people that take a creative vision and then realize it. They're not good at do they're not good at like making shit up from
1: scratch. Exactly. So, yeah, so like any good director needs to have a producer with a vision to kind of rein them in, in a little bit. And it seemed like Julie Taymor like her original vision was just so ambitious and she had no one to tell her no, that that's why things started falling apart because right. the person who was her producer was just an entertainment lawyer who had only worked on a few productions before. And, and,
0: and he's just, he's sitting there like, oh wow, it's Judy Taylor It's like, I just have to say yes to everything she says because I don't know, like I've never worked on a production like this before and she's judy taylor
1: yeah i mean exactly she clearly has an incredible amount of success and he has very little experience so he's just going to be like you know like i'll just trust you um right um however um garfinkel later stated that julie taylor's genius quote flourishes best under supervision so (laughs) um which is exactly what we're saying it's like she is a genius, but she ne- she cannot just have an army of yes people telling, saying whatever you want. We'll do it. We need to be like, we need to make this realistic. Right, right, exactly. <sighs> uh, were you able to find the thing about the Lion King?
0: Yes, the Lion King is the most successful musical of all time.
1: Right, so it just kind of like further is like I'm, you know, like why shouldn't I have complete creative control? I directed the Lion King, like right, and you right, know, right, right. So that's kind of like already a red flag. Um, Readings of the musical were held beginning in 2007, but the production was delayed several times. By early 2009, the Broadway production ran $25 million in debt. The New York Post reported... (laughs) Holy shit. That's insane. um, The debt was so high that work on it was suspended temporarily. No, the
0: the average, like, production budget of a Broadway play is only, like, two million dollars.
1: <laughs> exactly. It is that's batshit. Oh insane. my god. The budget for the project was reported in March 2009 to be a record setting 52 million dollars. Holy shit! So, it's like... 25 it, times, like, even, like, a very generous budget. That's that's expensive for a movie. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and... Uh, theater productions require far less moving pieces than a movie.
0: Right. That's, that is insane. It's like, if to put that in, to put that into like movie budget terms, that's like a quarter billion dollars.
1: Yeah. Right. That is it's, It is insane. Like this is like a Marvel movie. Like, but like imagine like a Marvel movie with like double the budget. Like it's insane.
0: Right. I mean, and at that point it's like even Marvel movies are, are huge, expensive, like undertakings but they're all they're very well planned out in like beforehand you know yeah they don't rack up enormous amounts of debts that they can't pay off
1: right and also like marvel movies like they have a proven track record for making a billion dollars like musicals like this like uh, this is like breaking new ground for a musical like there's no real proof of concept
0: that that is crazy
1: on august 31st 2009 the walt disney company announced plans to buy marvel comics Despite the previous Broadway success of their Disney theatrical production subsidiary, Disney made no move to assume control of Spider-Man or help the production financially. So oh, Disney's just yeah. like, you know, like, it doesn't seem to be going well. You're on your own. Like,
0: I'll take this. I'll take this. I'll take this. Oops, skipping that. Yeah. I'll
1: take this. <laughs> Wait, what about us? It has, like, Greek mythology in it.
0: As they're soaking in, like, mud and 20 cent like. 20, Twenty-five million dollars of, or no, what? What was it? Fifty million dollars of debt.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the Disney Corporation
0: just looked at that and said, "Ah, no."
1: Um, in late two thousand nine, however, uh, Bono asked uh, experienced producer Michael Cole to step in as a new producer, and by May two thousand ten, Cole had r- raised the money to proceed with the project. So mm. they're you know back on their feet to some extent. I hope.
0: I hope there are no personality conflicts between him and Judy Tamour. <laughs>
1: Uh, meanwhile, the music- oh, did I get it? Did I get no, it? No, no, no. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> okay. actually, no. Sadly, uh, oh. maybe I'm sure there was. I, I don't cover it though. Um, uh, meanwhile, the musical was eventually scheduled to open at the Foxwoods Theater on February 18, 2010, but the production was delayed yet again until fundraising could be completed. By n- November 2010, the production was estimated to cost 65 million dollars. <laughs> Holy shit. So they're still racking up millions and millions of dollars, right? In addition, that, go wow! Ahead.
0: No, I, I'm just I'm just kind of stunned. That's yeah. an insane <laughs> amount of money for a Broadway production to rack up.
1: Yeah, w- one that has not even opened yet. One that has not right. even started previews yet. <laughs> oh, it and sounds it, like they haven't even finished. They haven't even finished blocking on it no, yet. Yeah, like I don't even know. I think they're just still designing the insane batshit stunts at this point right uh That's and it, in addition the show's unusually high running costs were reported to be about a million dollars per week holy oh my i God. don't even know like what can you spend a million dollars per week on even for like a high profile broadway musical like what like where does that money go right it's what are you gonna julie tamor taking like week? private helicopter <laughs> rides to the to the set every day I guess or something? Like, I don't know. I that
0: is that is wild. I don't even think private helicopter rides would hit a million dollars a week.
1: Yeah, like that takes like concentrated effort to to burn that much money per week. Uh a new opening night of December 21st, 2010 was scheduled, but this was delayed until January 2011, reportedly due to a quote a tremendous amount of creative commotion behind the scenes as more time for rehearsals was needed. So I think, you you know, although I don't cover it, you're probably correct in your assessment that there was some strong personality conflicts behind the scenes.
0: Apparently a private helicopter ride only costs about $225.
1: Right, so like, <laughs> there's no way, what are you spending a million dollars, like, right. unless you're they're, paying they're Michael Cole. They're flying the entire
0: like, cast in on private yeah. helicopters.
1: It's like, but I live here, I don't need, like, I can, I can walk. It's like, no. Helicopters! <laughs> you're getting helicopter rides. We're moving the whole cast to Hawaii, and then they'll be thrown, thrown in by individual private jets <laughs> that loaded with gold <laughs> bars. <laughs> Which will then be cast into the sea. Which I think is like, this is kind of relevant because I think, I'm almost certain that you and I had a conversation in high school, like, what would be the most expensive theater production we could write? Right, right. we had just like a challenge, I think we've had this for years and years, of like trying to write the most impractical thing possible. Right, what is...
0: What is the most expensive scene we can possibly write? Like, the most unfilmable, unproducible scene. So I think the thing we
1: came up with was years and years ago, but it was it was like, there's a scene where the, the, the lead character is singing about how much she loves cars and that there's a a new car, a new incredibly expensive car driving behind her every few seconds. And it's not, it's never the same car. And it's like every single of those, like Lamborghinis, Ferraris, like Tesla X's and like all these things. It, right, it was something like, she's singing about how much she
0: loves these expensive luxury cars, and then there's, like, a unique one driving past her every second, and they don't repeat. Yeah. So we force the production to, like, get like get the licensing, to have them appear on screen, have, like, license the drivers, license, like, just license the property to be, yeah. like, the intellectual property to let them be in the film. And then you have to actually, like, organize and coordinate to have a copy of every car
1: in the scene. Yeah, and you actually have to buy all the cars like the lead character shows off the actual deeds to each car
0: (laughs) right real deeds to the car or like she she goes and sits inside every one of them so that you can't just buy a
1: shell or something they have to be actual cars that are driving around or she has like a crowbar and she like destroys every single one (laughs) so they can't be returned right and
0: (laughs) right destroys the interior of the car
1: right so that it cannot be a shell
0: at all like opens the hood shows the engine like dumps a bunch of
1: sand into the carburetor yeah. <laughs> which is like i mean like even that like would still you would still it would still take a lot of effort to to burn a million dollars a week it's like doing that every week yeah right <laughs> so a new opening night of december 21st oh no, i already said that in december 2010 the official opening was again pushed back to february 2011 to quote Didn't prov- production start in like 2006 well the actual impetus for the show started in 2002 like that's when oh my the God. pre-production started so this is now nine years in the making
0: <laughs> and they're burning a million dollars a week
1: yeah so the, the release date or the opening was pushed back to February 2011 to, quote, provide more time for the creators to stage a new final no- number, make further rewrites to the dialogue, and consider adding and cutting scenes and perhaps inserting new music. Miss Taymor and the producers have concluded that Act 2 has storytelling problems that need to be fixed. So huh, basically, like, sure. we're completely retooling this show. We have nothing. Oh, my God. We're <laughs> writing new songs, writing a right. new How closing re- number. You've had nine years to prepare and you're still rewriting the final yeah. number. A quote, final postponement was made once again, pushing the opening to March 2011 in order to quote, allow Tamor to fine tune the production and state a new ending. It's like they cannot agree on what the ending of this musical is going to be. Oh my god. <laughs> production was delayed further when a giraffe stepped on Bono's cock. A <laughs> ah! <laughs> fucking cock. <laughs> <me fecking> cock. <laughs> uh. Every time every time a giraffe steps on me fecking cock, a child in Africa dies. <laughs> Get the giraffe out of there then! <laughs> uh, the New York Times reported that the show's opening would de- be delayed for a sixth time until summer 2011. The, this latest oh. delay included a shutdown of previews. <laughs> the sh- oh. oh, man! That's like, I mean, that's like when,
0: oh man, all these circumstances when it's it's like a movie comes out and they they don't give out preview copies or like yeah. a, uh, a a new video game comes out and there's like a review embargo. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like you like we're know, know stop you're showing p- this to
1: people because they will talk. You you know that you're in for some juicy bullshit. (laughs) Uh, The shutdown lasted from April to May 2011 in order for the new creative team to implement changes. Preview performances resumed on May 12th. In March, Cole and Harris said they needed to shut down previews because they, quote, The story needed some work, the songs needed some work, and the sound needed some work. And that they were going to, quote, going to concentrate on those three areas over the next three and a half weeks. So basically every aspect of the production needs serious overhaul and work, nothing is going well. So yeah, the writing needs some work, the plot
0: needs some work, the music needs some work, the sound needs some work, the staging needs some work, the blocking needs some work, the direction needs some work, the cast needs some work, the catering needs some work, the set design needs some work, the crew needs some work. The lighting needs some work I
1: need some work My heart is failing Oh my god We've lost another director Another giraffe stepped on Bono's cock We don't know how so many giraffes got inside the theaters We called the exterminators (laughs) The giraffe exterminators They're costing us an additional million dollars a week We're putting them on private helicopters
0: We hired some Asai hunters To take care of these giraffes for us for Maasai Hunters. <laughs> cool.
1: uh, by April 2011, the capitalization was reported to have grown to $70 million. And as of the opening, it was reported as $75 million compared to a high of $15 million for Broadway musicals. That is... <laughs> so the most expensive like, Broadway musical before this had been $15 million.
0: And, and that was like... And that's like wild for a a Broadway musical. The average Broadway musical only costs like two to three million dollars.
1: Exactly. So they were, they were smashing records by like four hundred percent. It's like at this point, it's not. At at that point,
0: you you stop production. You call it quits. Yeah. Exactly.
1: It's like there's your red flag. They just keep fucking digging. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so the budget included nine point seven million dollars for sets and costumes. <laughs> nine million for sets and costumes. These are things that could be made out of cardboard.
0: So, so we're a bit over budget. Oh yeah,
1: how over budget are we? Oh yeah, we're we're about nine thousand percent over yeah. budget. It's like where did that money go? It's like, well, we spent five million dollars on the sets, five million dollars on the costumes four million dollars to rent the theater for two years 2.2 $2 million dollars for the stunts and that doesn't even explain like that's just from what i found on i don't know where like that's only like still like 15 percent of the budget
0: well and like from what i from what i've heard about this it's like it's like no theater is prepared to do these stunts no, like they, they had to like completely retool the entire theater just to be able to handle the crazy acrobatic stunts that this production was doing.:
1: Exactly. And they had to like shut down this theater for two years. Right. So the theater right, they're probably paying the fucking theater's rent because yeah, they have to, they have to shut down the entire theater just to let turn out the dark practice. Exactly. exactly. And so by this point, the weekly production budget had increased to 1.3 million. So another oh 30% increase to the weekly production budget.
0: Okay, The giraffe infestation is getting worse. Yeah.
1: We have no idea how 187 giraffes have gotten into the theater or how they fit. There's a breeding population of giraffes in this theater. There's, the theater has somehow acted as like a Mary Poppins bag-esque <laughs> infinite doctor who (laughs) dimension the maasai hunters are losing morale yeah we've been paying them overtime so uh evan rachel wood and alan cumming were cast as mary jane watson and the green goblin respectively two fantastic actors (laughs) right right um they were cast in June, June two thousand nine, but Wood left in March two thousand ten, and coming the following month when the show was delayed, so they lost <laughs> like two actors that probably could have elevated this production somewhat. Were just like, uh, you know, like we, we're working actors, like we're on you know, some of the Evan, biggest shows. <laughs> you
0: know, Evan, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the problem with this production was the acting talent.
1: No, but I'm just saying, like. As soon as this production has anything going for it, it just leaves immediately. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, oh... Why does
0: everything I touch die? <laughs> um,
1: the new original cast was announced August 16th, 2010, with Reeve Carney as Peter Parker, Je- Jennifer Damiano as Mary Jane Watson, TV Carpio as Arachne, and Patrick Page as the Green Goblin. Uh, All f- right. And they all seem to be respectable working actors. Um, In February 2011, playwright Roberto Aguirre-Sasaka was uh, asked by producers to, quote, help rewrite the script. He had written several... Again? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Buddy, we're nine years in! It's too late!
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just... (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I keep peeking the fucking audio. No, no, it's okay. It's worth it. Uh, Aguirre Sasaka had written several stories for Spider-Man comic books and had revised the book for a production of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. So he has, like, the the relevant skills for a production like this, but, like, I'm sure even he was, like, he had no idea what he was stepping into. I, I...
0: I'm I i do not think the problem is the writing
1: yeah exactly the problem is you're burning a million dollars a week and you're not even letting people preview it anymore like what is right, going it's like on
0: whoever is managing the finances of this production should like they're the problem here <sighs>
1: it reminds me of uh tim and eric's billion dollar movie where they yeah they like they spend a billion dollars on like a four minute movie and they like the producer's like how like how'd you spend so much money and like it's revealed like they hired like a spiritual advisor who charged right. them like half a million dollars a week for like meditation guidance and stuff right right it's just literally like a, like a game like how much money they can spend right exactly and it's a real-life Tim and Eric movie.
0: <laughs> I genuinely don't know how they're hemorrhaging money this fast.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost impressive. <laughs> uh, on In February 2011, Paul Bogave, who was a uh, Tony nominee for Best Orchestrations, was hired to, quote, consult and help improve the performance, vocal and orchestration arrangements, and sound quality of the songs and numbers. So basically, it seems like he was hired to, like, help Bono figure out how to write songs for a broadway production
0: (laughs) well i'm sure bono needed it
1: yeah exactly because like i said it hit like music is not appropriate for you know musical theater (laughs) it does not work so they're just like i can
0: also imagine that bono was not receptive to being (laughs) (laughs) to having a consultant brought in
1: no i i I seriously doubt it uh hint Early March 2011, Playbill and the New York Times reported that the producers had, had considered whether to, quote, work with an expanded creative team or have Tamor leave the production. Soon thereafter, Tamor left the production.
0: <laughs> ah, I,
1: I see. Uh, Philip William McKinney, McKinley joined the the show as a consultant and Chase Brock joined as an additional choreographer. So this is like they're just replacing the, the lead creative I'm, people.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised it... I'm not sure if the problem is the creative staff either.
1: Yeah. like uh, <laughs> the, Seriously. There's like, clearly there's a deeper problem. That's not just like, we need a new, we need a new choreographer.
0: Right. Or just, we need to stop paying this theater's rent every week.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. We need to figure out how to do this in a way that's actually reasonable and doesn't like, like, like involve reinventing how Broadway stunts are performed. Because, like, if you're renting out a theater, what you're essentially doing is
0: you're paying... You are paying the theater the profits of every Broadway show that could be
1: playing there. Exactly. And it was just incredibly expensive. All right, now here's where the story gets crazy. <laughs> ah, so 40 minutes in. <laughs> None of that was the crazy part, Evan? Well, it was, it was crazy, but this is not what makes this story truly batshit insane. Okay... All right, so at least six people were severely injured while working on Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Right, I heard about this. After two stunt doubles were injured during various flying sequences and rehearsals, safety inspectors from the New York State Department of Labor reviewed these scenes in the show and in February 2011 cited the show for two workplace safety violations. (laughs) Gosh. So before... You know, like, as previews were being halted, the the D- New York Department of Labor is coming in and, and citing them for labor violations, safety violations.
0: <laughs> you got to get rid of these knife harnesses.
1: <laughs> Which is, like, it isn't, like... these ain't safe. You look at any footage of this show, and it's, like, how? Like, how we're not... Right. How are more people not injured? It's, like, literally just... Chucking these actors towards the audience as fast as humanly possible, treating them like rag dolls. <laughs> I just I like the idea that like that they're
0: not actually acting. Like the actors just go limp <laughs> while they're in the air and they're just flailing around like a mod doll. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's Spider Man. He's just being it's f- just like hurled f- like f- <laughs> against <laughs> the wall,
0: or, or it's it's like that. That, that video of the guy he's like he's on a zipline or something but he just like goes dead weight so he's just like
1: <laughs> flopping around it's like remember, remember those sticky hands that you would get in like those little like <laughs> dispensers outside of like grocery stores right, and you just right, like slam right. it against the wall I You're picture that <laughs> this guy is, is <laughs> flat, like all their bones are just shattered.
0: <laughs> the New York, New York Department of Labor is like, ah, there's your problem. You, you gotta stop dashing your workers against the wall like they're sticky hands. That's strike two. <laughs> See, back in the 1980s, we changed the regulations so you can't dash your workers against the concrete floor like an egg. We're
1: well, gonna have to cite you for that. gonna write you up my supervisor's not gonna be happy about this a lot of paperwork (laughs) the county's gonna hear from you uh so the united states occupational safety and health administration fined the show twelve thousand dollars in march 2011 for three uh quote serious safety violations (laughs) which Uh you know is like a, a footnote on the the toe of the budget of the right. this production it's like, oh, yeah we'll pay that's it the, the, put them back they, in the harness
0: boys they write write down the citation and then like they tape it to the like scrambled egg pile of actors that <laughs> yeah. are
1: put them back in the, the canon <laughs> uh the actors equity yeah. association also looked into the incidents one of the injuries occurred when Spider-Man stunt performer Kevin Aubin broke both wrists at the same time. Another had, shit. quote, broken both his feet on the same move a month earlier. <laughs> Holy shit! So on on this this stunt, you either break both your wrists or both your feet. Which would you choose, CT? Uh, bro, I, I think I gotta go for ankles there. <laughs> yeah, wrists. There's something about breaking your wrists which is just... Uh.
0: Well, it's like, if, if, I, if I break my wrists, I can't, like... Yeah, I can walk around,
1: but I can't, like, do shit. Yeah, I can't write, you, can't eat, you know? You know like, right. You can't go to the bathroom easily. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: See, this is the scene in the show where the act... This is the scene in the show where Spider-Man breaks his wrists
1: and ankles at the same time. The classic scene from Spider-Man 2. Ah, both my wrists and ankles!
0: <laughs> they've been broken at the same time! They've got Damn to get a you, new Doc act- Ock! <laughs> they've got to get a new actor to do it every single production. So they've, they've spent millions of dollars training all these Tony Award actors to play Spider-Man, specifically for the scene where he shatters both of his ankles and wrists. See,
1: Spider-Man, this is why I got four additional arms, so if I broke my wrists, I'd be fine!
0: <laughs> that's that's the, Curse you, Doc Ock! That's Oc. the moral of the play,
1: yeah is that...
0: It doesn't matter if you break both of your wrists and ankles at the same time If you have four
1: additional mechanical arms Yeah, that's why they weave in Arachne because she she was lucky to have been turned into a spider because she broke both her wrists and and ankles but she had two oh my God. she had two additional pairs or no this
0: this is just Doc Ock's new origin story yeah. <laughs> and it's like throughout the entire play he's got he, like, he's walking around on the mechanical arm and he's, his ankles and wrists are just in
1: big casts <laughs> That's the day that I swore that I would invent a machine that would give me working wrists and ankles. Uh, yeah. Na- N- Natalie Mendoza, who was originally cast as Arachne, suffered a concussion during the first preview performance on no- in November 2010. Oh the first... She was just...
0: And she was just in the audience. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she-, was, she was just in the audience.
0: She, she had a, she got a concussion when a ra- when an actor broke both of his wrists and ankles against her
1: skull. <laughs> just like a comical like domino train of injuries. <laughs> they're just they
0: they're just they just spin the actors around to gain up momentum and then just slam them randomly into the audience,
1: <laughs> which is like which is like literally like when you watch you know footage of like the, the completed production it's like it looks like that's what they were trying to do but stopping the actors at the last second before they collide with the, the children in the front row there's
0: there's there's two competing there's two competing stunt teams one of them who is trying to, to kill the actors and one of them who is trying to save the actors
1: No, there's, just there's constant, two teams they're... one that's trying to injure as many audience members as possible one that's trying to injure as many actors and the winning team gets a one hundred dollar Olive Garden gift card. Right. The winning team gets the, gets a million dollars every week. Yeah. <laughs> the pieces are starting to connect.
0: I, I like the idea that there's like there's the production team, then there's like a fucking Star Trek Mirror Mirror universe <laughs> yeah.
1: production team that's trying to cause evil and chaos. Which would also explain why their budget was so high. They had two competing crews. Right. (laughs) They got to pay for the mirror mirror guys. Union rules. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, They may be from an evil mirror dimension, but they're still union. um, So uh, Natalie Mendoza, who suffered the concussion, was reportedly struck in the head by equipment in the wings. Wow. So like... (laughs) <laughs> which is like these this equipment is like hanging hundreds of feet in the air and so right like, there's got all these like fucking hanging weights yeah. and like t- wires under tension and which is like i all whenever i see these shows with like either like wire stunts or like just any like these like incredibly heavy microphones or lights hanging from the ceiling I'm always terrified that it's just like gonna fall on one of the actors but like I never would have expected that a production would be so bad at it's stunts that instead of the the equipment falling down and hitting the actors in the head the actors would be launched upward into the equipment (laughs) and and, and get a concussion that way
0: We (laughs) lost. hey boss we lost another one to the slingshot seats.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bring in the understudy. Yeah, we'll just pay another violation. <laughs> <laughs> the show must go on. Uh, so, uh, Mendoza did not report the accident to producers until November thirtieth. She didn't oh tell God. the producers that she got hit in the head until two days later. <laughs> Uh she appeared in the second performance against her doctor's advice. The role involves several flying sequences, including one in which she is spun upside down
0: after She's getting concussed. a concussion.
1: <laughs> all these poor starving actors that are just trying to find a bit part in a musical are just being launched and they're too <laughs> afraid to tell the producers because they'll just fire them and use their seemingly bottomless pit of a budget to replace her.
0: This is the scene where Mary Jane Watson gets hit in the head with a mallet and then put in one of those, like, NASA spaceship conduct-like training things that just spins you around really fast. Just like
1: the comics, boys. (laughs) Just like the... Issue 23! Uh, Mendoza later felt ill. I mean, no shit. And America Olivo, her understudy, played the role during her nearly two-week absence. So uh mendoza returned to the show for the december 15th evening performance which is incredible right it's like she was concussed yeah she was concussed and then performed again in the role which required her to be repeatedly spun upside down put into a centrifuge like this is how people die (laughs) seriously and it's happened before uh following the preview of december 20th 2010 when spider-man stunt performer christopher tini was injured and hospitalized which i will get into in a second uh mendoza suspended her performance uh again filling in for her on december 30th she announced her permanent withdrawal from the show and was quickly replaced by tv carpio (laughs) when carpio when carpio was injured in march 2011 and withdrew from the show from for two weeks oliva performed the role again (laughs) so the replacement was injured in the exact same way (laughs) you got out but it's like so two different actresses were replaced by the same understudy on two different occasions oh, who were no. both like, I am amazed that this understudy was willing to do it. She saw two people be seriously injured and have to be right. hospitalized for two weeks. And she's doing both their roles, like taking twice the risk. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I don't fear death. <laughs> uh, all right. So in now we get to the most infamous. <laughs> okay. Okay. Of the injuries. Uh, uh, I don't know if I should give a warning on this, but like, you know, this is <laughs> gets a little intense. Okay. Uh, in the December 20th preview, stunt performer Christopher Tierney fell 21 feet off of a piece of scenery when his harness was not connected to the safety cord, leaving him to free fall headfirst through the stage and into the orchestra pit. <gasps> Holy shit! And I watched the video of this happening. Oh and my it's God. literally. Like, it cuts off, so you can't really see the aftermath. But, like, literally, you right. just see his harness unhook. And, like, he's supposed to be caught, Shit. and he just falls. Like, through the stage into the orchestra pit. That is insane. Uh, Tierney fractur- fractured his skull, broke four ribs, cracked three vertebrae, punctured a lung, and suffered internal bleeding. Oh, my God. Audience member Kristen Crawley stated in an interview, you could hear the screaming. I mean, the whole theater oh, could hear the screaming. Fuck. Oh, that gave me chills. Yeah. Holy shit. Can you imagine you're just there as like a select audience member to see a preview of the new exciting Broadway production, and you just see a dude free fall from 20 feet in the air, like into the orchestra, fit, orchestra pit, head first, and just hear him screaming. Oh, God. Tierney was hospitalized at Bellevue uh hospital center. He was released for rehabilitation eight days later on December twenty eighth.
0: With all those injuries? Damn.
1: Yeah. So I mean I'm gonna get into it in a second, but like this guy seems like you know, like he's very tough. He's a stunt performer. Yeah. Um, this I, I is a dude that. who's who's broken a million bones before. But like, even so That's like, a that if yeah. he would have landed slightly differently, he'd be dead. You know. Yeah. Um, after rehearsals for stricter safety procedures involving the harnesses, aka making sure they're hooked on. Oh my God! Like this is this is not like inadequate safety procedures. This is like negligent neglig- negligent manslaughter. Like this is yeah. Like,
0: that's that's straight up negligence.
1: This is like either you know the state the performance is so rushed and poorly managed that it just gets missed, or someone is is. Just makes a, a mistake so grave that it's just like you could be probably tried for manslaughter for that.
0: Right. It's it's you have this person's livelihood in your hands, and you've you've breached trust.
1: Yes. Exactly. Um, Tierney was released from uh, uh, NYU's Rusk Institute of Rehabilitative uh, Medicine on January fifth, two thousand eleven, which is up eight days later and appeared on Good Morning America the next day in a really awkward, uncomfortable, propagandaistic uh, appearance with all the main members of the show's cast to promote Fuck the show. no. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. So they forced this dude to come immediately... They, they immediate- like, fucking wheel this
0: guy out in an iron lung, like... <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yes, the production is great. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm
1: fine. And uh, Tierney says on the show, quote, I'm walking with less caution now. I I don't think... I don't know if Tierney Sutton
0: can walk yet.
1: Yeah, well, apparently he could. Apparently he was <laughs> m- miraculously fine, but it's so disgusting that like
0: yeah that's fucking vile the fact that they brought him out for like a like a publicity appearance
1: literally and it's literally like they show clips from the exciting Spider-Man Broadway production and talk about how like crazy the stunts are like he, they literally use his injury to promote the show which is so sick oh,
0: god that, that like that makes my stomach churn
1: yeah it's so bad so star reeve carney who played peter parker which, like another sick thing is like most of the interview is taken up by the main cast of the show who are not doing the craziest of the stunts. Right. But they're answering all the questions about the show's safety. Right. Like these people who are literally like they're there to sing and then wheeling out the dude who just broke four ribs, punctured a lung, got internal bleeding, fractured a skull and just giving him like literally one sentence to say, I'm fine. It's fine. Oh, geez. Uh. So they, um, the host of the show, uh, addresses the safety issue and kind of brings in like tweets from concerned viewers or whatever to like yeah to have them like respond to it and so hey, is the guy in the, in the <laughs> is the guy in the like tube of regeneration liquid okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so star reeve carney responds to the tweet which criticizes the show for putting the actors and stunt performers in active danger by saying quote I think we all appreciate everyone's concern for our safety but uh, I guess you you just you get into this job you know it's an athletic event you, you it's something that has a certain amount of risk involved but people on our crew are amazing I I, I mean they care for our safety every day and the improvements in the safety you have to trust and we do trust them and we we appreciate everyone's concern and uh, the only people more concerned for our safety are the crew which is like I don't have a gun to my head <laughs> right right <laughs>
0: We we appreciate the safety crew, and they definitely hook in our harnesses every single time. Like, besides the fact...
1: There are no giraffes in the theater. They have not bred.
0: (laughs) The giraffes are not spreading.
1: It's like, besides the fact that, like... Like, it feels like a very forced statement, and clearly the the crew does not ha- put the actress' safety above everything because they literally forgot to put put right, <laughs> hook in okay. one of their harnesses and led to a guy nearly dying, and right. that's just and that's total... not the only
0: instance of somebody getting hurt.
1: Yeah, you know, not only is that total bullshit, but it's like, and not only does it, like, feel like this is a very pre- prepared statement, like, yes, this crew is amazing, and I would never doubt the glorious you know the production right, of Spider-Man right. but also like the thing that makes me the most mad is like they're letting him answer that question the dude who right. doesn't have to be thrown 30 feet into the air and the dude who didn't right. nearly die in front of a crowd and they literally just give him like yeah i'm i'm fine like just in a day's work and then they let the the more famous actors have a soundbite <laughs> um so Tierney returned to the show for rehearsals uh, on April 25th, uh, 2011, and performed the show on opening night. So he was able to miraculously come back, which is insane. I mean, that's dedication, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, stunt performers, that, that they know it's a risk. Right. That, that's
0: business as usual for them, I guess.
1: But, like, still, like, they're trusting that their harnesses are hooked in. Right. God. Um, uh, TV Carpio, who plays Arachne, was injured during a March, uh, tw- uh, March 16th performance, reportedly hurting her neck and left the show for two weeks. Um, on in August 2013, after all the like two years later, after all this safety stuff had reportedly been addressed, um, actor Daniel Curry was hurt by apparently being pinned under a piece of equipment and suffered leg trauma. Holy shit. So the the injuries continued even after all of this shit. We are
0: dr- we are definitely addressing the safety concerns. <laughs> this is a safe environment.
1: Yeah, it's like I don't think it's the the safety standards. I think it's the nature of these stunts and the fact that it's not they're not conducive to a theater environment. Right, it's just not safe. Like this theater is not built for this. These people are not
0: trained for this.
1: Yeah. Um <sighs> So to pr- promote the musical, in September of 2010, Reed Carney, who plays Peter Parker, and his band performed uh, Boy Falls from the Sky, one of the songs on Good Morning America. Carney. That's a total Bono title. <laughs> Boy Falls from the Sky.
0: Boy Falls from the Sky.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll get into more of the songs in a second. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Carney, Bono, and The Edge all performed on the final episode of season 10 of American Idol, singing Rise Above, another U2-ass title. That's
0: another total fucking
1: Bono title. Yeah, just like the vapid, meaningless, whatever. Um, Carney and uh, Damiano performed, uh, quote, If the World Should End, another song, at the 65th Tony Awards. The show appeared twice on The Late Show with David Letterman, singing Rise Above, and then singing uh, a freak like me needs company <laughs> really great titles <laughs> um so this had like a very expensive and extensive uh, media cycle right which i'm i'm sure only cast the show in positive light yeah i mean got people hyped for it i guess despite <laughs> but it which feels like almost like trying to address concerns that like this show is off the rails like no like we're look at this great u2 song Great. look Bono's here <laughs> yeah isn't that charming um a short performance of the show was featured in the 2011 macy's day thanksgiving parade with spider-man battling villains while performing an ensemble of songs including bouncing off the walls a freak like me needs company and spider-man Spider-Man Alright, now we get into the critical reaction
0: Oh boy, here we go uh,
1: The show's first performance on November 28, uh garnered quote, what was most likely the most press coverage in a, of a first preview in history Oh, wow by January 2011, a reviewer reported that there were no delays during the preview he saw. He praised the stunts and ballads, quote, that evoke the yearning grandeur of U2, though their more upbeat material... <laughs> the tend- yearning
0: grandeur yeah. <laughs> of U2.
1: That's a guy I'd love to hang out with. Yeah. A guy who describes U2's music as yearning grander, grandeur. Uh, but he, uh. he did state that uh, though their more upbeat material tended to be nondescript. <laughs> Whoever wrote that review
0: is the guy from the Gabriel Gundacker vine that doesn't know what music yeah. it is.
1: <laughs> is this music? Uh, am I listening oh, to music now? Oh, it's over. <laughs>
0: I knew that. <laughs> like that, <laughs> you don't talk about music like that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's like, have you have you heard music before? <laughs> um, how, he also stated that the quote, the plot of the second act twisted into tangled knots. Like, the plot is still, like, nonsensical after all these rewrites and, like, different iterations. Of course it is. (laughs) Rewrites never make shit better. They just make it more confusing. Yeah, because you keep... Like, it's better to have, like, a singular, shitty, cohesive vision than eight competing shitty visions. Right. Like, at least... There's no cohesion. Yeah, at least have one voice. (laughs) radio and tv talk show host Glenn Beck championed the production after attending the preview showing several times (laughs) of course Glenn Beck loves this musical of course you know Glenn Beck's favorite band is U2 of course
0: Glenn Beck has Glenn Beck going to see Spider-Man turn off the dark like seven times has (laughs) the same vibe as uh, Ken Weiselman going to see like the (laughs) Medea movies all the time
1: what if I can make this for kids?
0: <laughs> right. Uh, welcome to Glenn Beck's child like child endangerment circuits. <laughs> GB's C E C It's not even a joke, Evan. You can't just make up an acronym for something and have it be funny. <laughs> We've talked about this and for those at home we have talked about this Evan does this fucking
1: all the time it's not a joke it's not funny yeah CT has a rule for me that I can't do this anymore but I keep doing it because I'm a rebel <laughs> <laughs> uh, most of the major I'm gonna theater reach critics through this microphone and slap you <laughs> uh, published their reviews of the first version on February 7th, 2011 after the review embargo was lifted uh, <laughs> nearly all of them were strongly negative in tone. I wonder why. Although reviews during the preview period are unusual, uh, because the preview period is meant to work out the kinks, uh, the critics decided that the ever-expanding preview period was so long and ticket prices were so high that they should not wait for the official opening. So they successfully argued against the review embargo and just were able to publish their negative reviews (laughs) because they were all unanimous in their criticism. That's, like... Wow! Uh, and now this is like uh, um, Michael Eisner taking the group of, of historical scho- scholars to Epcot to prove to them how right. how great how good of a history boy he is, and then they're just like, right, "No, right. like we don't trust you. This is terrible." Check it out! Look <laughs> at the new
0: play. Isn't it great? And they're like, "This is so terrible. Yeah. We're going to ignore the review embargo."
1: Yeah, it's like it was a bad idea to show us this. We're just gonna is talk it- about
0: it. This was This play is so bad we're going to ignore common practice. Like yeah. this play is so bad it would be it would be unethical of,
1: of us <laughs> as journalists to not tell the world yeah. how bad it is. We have to let them know. Um an analysis in the New York Review of Books by classic scholar Daniel Mendelsohn Mendelssohn Mendelso- followed up the complaints of other critics that Tamor's attempt to graft the the classical myth of arachne onto comic book story turned the show into a quote grotesque hybrid and overloaded the plot with two unrelated main villains in Arachne and Green Goblin.
0: Oh man. That that totally sounds like somebody really pushing for the Arachne inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Right, well no, it has
1: to be Arachne. Well, it sounds like Julie Taymor really wanted Arachne. But then the rewritten mm-hmm. version's like, no, we need Green Goblin to be the villain, like not Arachne.
0: <laughs> and so, um, and so, of course, previous, like further rewrites were forced to incorporate both and somehow make it comprehensible.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Mendelssohn saw a crucial difference between the ancient and modern models of human-to-animal metamorphosis and said, quote, for today's audiences, such transformations are liberating, literary, literally empowering. Whereas for the ancients, they were more often than not humiliations, punishment for inappropriate or overweening behavior. At the yeah. heart of Spider-Man disaster, at the heart of the Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark disaster, is the essential incompatibility of those two visions of physical transformation: the ancient and the modern, the redemptive and the punitive uh, visions that Tamar tried heroic, heroically but futile, futilely to reconcile. And I could not have said it better myself.
0: Well, and the th- the thing is, is that if if like if Spider Man gets his powers from a goddess, like gets chosen by a goddess to get powers, it robs Peter Parker of his essential everymanness. Now he's right. just now he's just another fucking chosen one. Yeah, right. Now like he's, he's a, a Christ he's a perfect, figure. Right, he's a perfect goody two shoes Christ figure
1: chosen one, and not, not like a random the, dude who hap like a, like the nerdiest. Loser, possible right, who not, who happened to gain incredible power, right? And
0: it robs him of the thing that makes him relatable, which is the fact that he's like he's a little
1: he's a scrawny little New Yorker bitch boy with yeah. a heart of gold. <laughs> exactly, like one of the things that makes Spider-Man worthy of being turned into a musical in the first place. Right, is the fact that Peter Parker has to kind of be a loser. Yeah, right. Um. I mean which is why like the adaptations of Spider-Man in film that make him more of a loser are more successful and that's why like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man fell so flat because like he was a really cool dude right he was like a he
0: was like a hipster skateboarder photographer like Abercrombie and Fitch model
1: yeah exactly
0: whereas over on the other end you have Tobey Maguire who has like who's like all kind of flabby and stuff
1: yeah exactly like he's a dope (laughs) Right, he's just a big old dope. Uh, in a scathing review of the first version of the musical, uh, New York Times critic Ben Brantley said that uh, Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark may rank among the worst Broadway musicals he's ever seen. I think it probably is the worst. Yeah, like, right. I don't think I don't know if ranked is up there. Like, even if it's not the worst, it becomes the worst because they're, you know, like right. curb-stopping their actors in right. midair. It's, it's- dashing their actors against the floor yeah uh brantley wrote quote uh so this is the ascent from the jaw dropping badness to mere mediocrity a step upward well until last weekend i would have recommended spider-man to only to carry on feasting theater vultures now if i knew a less than precocious child of 10 or so and had several hundred dollars to throw away i would consider taking him to uh a new and improved spider-man which is like such a mean and great quote which is like right right it's like i like before all the like the script rewrites i would have only recommended it to like people who literally you know like had no idea what musicals were but like now i'd recommend right. it to like dumb kids right
0: but now i would only recommend it to dumb idiot kids that <laughs> don't know what's going on
1: uh and the show's First incarnation, the average rating for, for from critics was F plus. <laughs> <laughs> While the revision, the, the plus is way more insulting. Yeah, exactly. Because like,
0: the. Like the F minus is like this doesn't work on any levels. It's yeah. like you've you're just flat out wrong. But an F plus is like you actually tried. Yeah. Right? Also, like, like we...
1: the grade S F plus isn't a real gate a real grade in the academic system. <laughs> so, right. Like inventing a new grade for Spider Man. Turn off the dark. Right. It's like
0: it's like you failed, but your efforts were also pathetic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you tried really hard, to no success. Uh, while the revised musical garnered an average score of C+. plus, <laughs> ah. A barely passing grade. Barely. Uh, in a roundup of the reviews, Lisa Buchwald commented, quote, critics actually miss some of Julie Taymor's ambition, crazy as they may have thought it at the time. Critics agree that the show is improved and that it makes much more sense. However, uh, now they mostly find it a bore. Bono and the engine's score is almost universally panned, while Patrick Page's Green Goblin and stunning visuals remain, for most critics, the best reasons to see the show. So, like, the stunts are cool. And, like, right. like we said, like, the acting, I'm sure, is fantastic. Like, these are, like, the best Broadway actors around. But it's, like, you know, it's not what makes it bad. It's the totally right. mangled it's,
0: story. It's, it's, like, the story has just been put through a meat grinder. And it's a musical, and the music is bad.
1: Yeah. So now, before I talk about the box office uh, of this musical, I'm going to talk a little bit about Bono and the Edge's score. Now, uh. and we're gonna play a little game. Okay. So I already mentioned that, like this, like I, I literally couldn't listen to this score. Like it's so bad. Like, right. Um, and you actually
0: kind of like you two.
1: Yeah, like I'm fine with you two. Like there, some of their albums are good in my opinion, but like this is like. R- this is not even like good for U2 standards. Like this is just worse. Like this is stuff that U2 would throw off of their own albums. I- I'm sure right. it was. Like it's like, "Oh, we this we couldn't figure out how to work this into this album. Let's put some right. vague it's, Spider-Man lyrics over it." It's probably just a
0: bunch of random U2 B-sides thrown into this.
1: Yeah. And all like the lyrics are so vague. And like that's the thing about U2 is like they're the most vague lyric writers ever yeah uh, like there's no like you know like this. it's just like rise above like we you know right we, we gotta, can do it we can, yeah well, I'm, I'm a villain us. i'm
0: evil i'm a hero i'm good things are happening
1: all right so we're gonna play a little game okay. um <laughs> i put this together it's not very well thought out but you know might as well Um, so I I found one one of the songs in this musical that I thought was one of the worst probably the worst uh, written uh, of all the songs on the soundtrack and I'm going to read I'm going to read it stanza by stanza and you're going to give me one word to describe (laughs) how you feel about the quality of that stanza okay alright you ready I'm ready. There's no points. There's no way to win. Okay. And <laughs> I'll probably stop because it's very repetitive. Picture this. Open the iris. Open it up wide. The world changes shape with the color of our eyes. Is that it? That's stanza one.
0: Okay. Let's see. Uh,
1: for a word. Board. Picture this. You are already where you want to be. Now close your eyes. What does it look like?
0: Confusing.
1: Picture this. The world is spinning on a tiny pin. Nobody knows the danger we're in. Ward. On this sunny day, let your imagination run away. On this sunny day, sunny days. See the future through the haze. Picture this. I want to believe you and I'm going to try, but I find it hard to see me through your eyes.
0: It's not how eyes work.
1: Picture us. Realize this is a dizzy high, and we could fall and fall and fall and fall.
0: <laughs> and puncture a lung and break several cords.
1: <laughs> On this sunny day, let your imagination run away. On this sunny day, sunny days, see the future through the haze. Love is this love. Sure. Just crimes. Peace wars. (laughs) Just crimes. True lies. I can see a noble shame. I can see a living death. I can see a healing pain, a pure decay, a helping hurt, a freeing jail. What? On this sunny day, on this sunny day, on this sunny day, hate, war, hurt, shame, death, pain. Hate, war, hurt, shame, death, pain, on this sunny day. Hate, war, hurt, shame, death, pain. 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 And thus concludes the song.
0: Banana, battery, staple, horse, correct. Banana, battery, staple, horse, correct. Banana, battery, staple, horse, correct.
1: Crime, war, pain, a, Crime, jail, war, a death, free pain. jail, hurting tears, blood town, my bad, bad <laughs> nail in hand, screaming baby, run around. Oh, it's, I, I forgot, like, even, even after writing, I used to, I was utterly stupid. That song is. <laughs> It's not about anything. Yeah, (laughs) you could literally... It has nothing to do with (laughs) Spider-Man. At all. Why do you hire you 2 Just get some kid in his fifth grade poetry class. It'll be just as good. Ugh, God. It's not even about anything. It's, you can, not only is it not about Spider-Man, it's not about any point in Spider-Man's journey. Like, you could apply this at the beginning of the musical, the end of the musical, the middle of the musical. You could apply it after someone's born, after someone dies, after, you know, someone has a triumphant moment, after two characters break up. It doesn't mean anything.
0: And knowing u two's bloodless instrumentation, it's like yeah. that, it, it just
1: wouldn't add to a scene at all. Yeah, <laughs> exactly also here's the, thing. here's the thing uh um you two appears on the official like cast uh recording of this musical bono and uh. the edge like it's not the cast even though they're not in the musical they like bono's voice is on the 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 recording ah uh. <laughs> like some of the stanzas they give to bono <laughs> which feels like something that would be in his contract hit it bono <laughs> It, Pain, war, death, bad. Pain, war, death, bad. Like it's it's like when Lin Manuel Miranda shows up on the Moana, Moana soundtrack. It's like you were right. hired to write the lyrics. Why are you singing? Like, right? It's not You're about not you. a good singer. Yeah. Like why? Like, like it just feels like a weird glory grab. Like, yeah. It's look like like a at weird me. Attention thing. I wrote this music, and I'm also singing on it because I'm Bono. Ugh. Uh. Theater review aggregator Curtain Critic gave the production a score of fifty out of a hundred, based on the opinion of twenty critics.
0: Eh. <laughs> higher uh, than I expected.
1: Yeah, it's like an even split. Um, despite poor reviews and bad publicity, Spider-Man was at times successful at the box office. Ticket sales oh. the day after the first preview on in November twenty ten were more than one million dollars. During wow. the first full week of 2011 Spider-Man had the highest box office gross on Broadway with a total of 1.5 million. So, wow, that's that's a little bit more that's almost yeah. two whole weeks of production. Yeah. Let's
0: how how much did that chew into their 76 million dollar production budget?
1: I'll address that in a second. Uh, Uh. The New York Times Patrick Healy stated in February 2011 that Spider-Man had become a, quote, national object of pop culture fascination more so perhaps than any show in Broadway history due to the extensive media coverage and late night comedians monologues on the musical's many delays, injuries, and creative issues. He speculated that the musical would not have staying power through repeat viewings like other hit musicals after, quote, tourists and parents with children watched it for bragging rights at dinner parties or on the playground. Uh, New New York Post columnist Michael Riddell uh, opined that month that the musical would be short-lived. Depending on how much more money its backers are willing to lose, my hunch is that Spider-Man will stagger through the spring, pick up with the tourist traffic, Uh, in the summer and then collapse in the fall. It should be gone by September 2011. That sounds like somebody who
0: knows what he's talking about.
1: So Spider-Man did, in fact, survive beyond September 2011 with ticket sales improving throughout the summer. About half of its its audience came from beyond the New York metropolitan area, including many foreign tourists. Mm. Um, So that's how they got a lot of their ticket sales is, you know, people from other countries just wanting to see this, you know, like, this spider-man musical which i'm sure is in all the like tourist guides and everything and all the marketing and stuff is just like come see the amazing like death-defying spider-man musical right uh in november occasionally death-defying spider-man musical yeah however Mm. in november its producers stated that the show (laughs) earned about a hundred to three hundred thousand dollars in net income each week after the initial like oh, like initial couple weeks of success which means that Spider-Man would ha- have cont- had to continue playing for at least 5 years non-stop to Oof. even break even on its 75 million dollar budget damn producers discussed adding new scenes and perhaps a new song each year to persuade fans <laughs> to attend it as a whole new comic book issue so they were continuing to talk about like retooling this production and adding things to it. They
0: were going to they were going to add DLC to the fucking Broadway yeah, right. musical.
1: It's a new experience each time. We've added a new song by Bono. Yeah, come pay $250 to see this musical again for one new song. Also by Bono. Yeah, for a score that was universally panned by critics and audiences. Uh. The first week of January 2012, the Broadway League reported that the show had taken in uh, nearly $3 million in ticket sales the week before, the highest single-week gross of any show in the history of Broadway. The record was previously held by Wicked, which took $2.2 million in a week the previous year. However, uh, sales declined to $600,000 by the last week of September 2013. The show eventually closed at a quote mon- monumental financial loss. With John Kendrick noting that Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark sold tickets but rarely covered its ponderous weekly running cost. Yeah. So it's even like... with record-setting openings and weeks, it didn't even come close to meeting its burn rate. Right, right. Because,
0: I mean, just just the crew to maintain all of the insane acrobatics has to be tremendous.
1: Yeah, and it's not like like they're spending a million dollars a week to rehearse this production. It's not like that goes down once they start they open to the public. Like it goes right up. exactly. Uh, on November nineteenth, two thousand thirteen, producers announced that the show would close uh, in January twenty fourteen, citing falling t- ticket sales and no longer being able to get injury insurance for the production as <laughs> reasons for closure. The insurance a- agencies turned them down oh man having run on Broadway for over three years the production failed to make back its $75 million cost the largest in Broadway history with investors reportedly losing $60 million and that's the story of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark
0: (laughs) ah bravo my friend that was wonderful
1: oh man that story like I had no like when I started researching I had no idea what I was getting into right that's crazy Oh, I'm just so glad no one died.
0: Right, right. Holy shit. No, that was wonderful. Thank you very much. That was a fun one to research. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter at daoccast, Instagram at desperate Acts of capitalism, and Tumblr at desperateactsofcapitalism.tumblr.com. And remember, next week's episode is up right this moment on our Patreon. Join us there for bonus content, including an entire second podcast, business desserts, where Evan and I talk about current business news and whatever we feel like talking about that week. And thank you so much for listening. We love you big things are coming.